30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard When you go around telling people you're a wizard, interesting things start to happen. About a year ago, an acquaintance told me he ran into another wizard at an event. He had the fellow's Instagram handle, so I looked him up and was delighted to discover the work of Chris Patchy Hall, a wizard who works not with spells and sigils, but electronics and experiences. Using the magical medium of video conferencing, Chris and I connected with each other and were thrilled to discover the many similarities and differences in our embodiment of the wizard archetype. As an experienced designer and engineer, Chris seeks ways to transform technology into something that enhances our innate humanity, encouraging play and discovery over repetition and addiction. From robots to lasers to virtual realities, Chris stands firmly in the world of yesterday's science fiction, making it feel more and more like tomorrow's magic. I'm currently undertaking a quest down the eastern seaboard to a retreat in Asheville, visiting wizards along the way. Since I've gotten a little bit of press here and there, I've had people reach out where I've discovered their work, and I wanted to take an opportunity to get out into the world and to see other forms of magic that my fellow wizards were creating. Chris lives in Philadelphia and is the first stop on this journey, where he welcomed me into his wizard's workshop and showed me all manner of amazing toys and robots and experiences. And now I hope you enjoy my conversation with Chris as we talk about how to be wizards, not robots, and make technology feel like magic. Oh, hey, wizard. Oh, hey, wiz. Welcome to Ritual Space, Chris. Thank you. What's our magic word going to be? Our magic word for tonight is going to be interactive. Interactive. One, two, three. Interactive. Interactive. Now, I like that because we just did an interactive thing where the audience, the listener, also said the magic word. So that's like doubly interactive, which I think is an important part of wizardry. Exactly. For for me, I do find that uh, the interaction is how we actually are able to be a part of any of this. Um, with my work, it. Oh, sorry, I'm getting into this. Um, no, please get into it. Open the doorway but, and guide us through. With my, my work particularly involving technology, I find interaction is how we can keep humans involved in it. And just as the observers of any of this that's happening, interaction is where the magic is able to exist. That's a very interesting point because it's like, yeah, if, if, if a video game has no interaction, then it's just a movie playing for itself, basically. And how do we keep ourselves in the game as machines do all kinds of cool stuff and we want to play too? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, we, yeah, we have to insert ourselves as participants in these things. So what is it that you do? How would you describe your particular blend of wizardry? Um, so I am a wizard uh, who creates high-tech interactive art. 
um, I try to show people that we can be using technology as magic, not just technology. And a lot of that is through breaking out of what we are used to consuming as technology. A lot of apps, a lot of screen time, um, really breaking the rectangle that is the screens that we've become accustomed to. Ooh, breaking the rectangle. I like that. Yeah. We're... Why does it have to be a rectangle? I want to... I, exactly. It doesn't I want a have circular to be a screen phone. That'd be so cool. But you, and we're still thinking screen phones. It's like what what ends up happening with this screen is there's just a lot of baggage that comes in with with screens in our culture. We've like we're, we're at an age where technology is common and we're used to it. The thing is, we're used to screens being able to we, we do something with a screen. You see a screen, whether you touch it or you use an app or a website, there just is expectations with what you're doing on a screen. The thing is, like, you have to behave a certain way with it. That is not integrated into us as humans and, and our ability to learn and play with objects. Is We don't need to be stuck in that in that rectangle, we can really break out of it and start integrating technology in other ways that extend our human experience rather than distract us from it. Because the rectangle really is unnatural. You don't see that many rectangles out in nature, and yet we have constructed our entire world around them. There was an Onion headline once that's like, Area Man now spends 75% of waking hours staring at different rectangles, and it like broke me. Like, I just, like, I think about it all the time when I leave work. And I'm like, ah, now I'm home to stare at different rectangle. Yeah, it it, it is. It, it captures, like, it captures our attention. But also, it be, being such an unnatural thing, it being unnatural yet still being common means that when we encounter these rectangles, we think, how do we use this? If we know how to use this rectangle, whether it's our phone or whether it's our computer screen, then we can go through the steps of, of working with it. If we don't know, we might have to ask somebody. We might just feel like confusion, like, what do I do here? I don't know. The part that isn't that doesn't happen, you, you don't see this happen as much um, in, in the streets or in nature. You come across a strange object you explore the object. Mm -hmm. It invites a lot of exploration. It invites, it, it becomes okay that you don't know what this thing is because you can use your senses to figure this out. The rectangle is very literal. It's very, you need to click here. You need to use this. You need to call support to walk you through how to the do it. The rectangle will now walk you through it. That's I've built onboarding wizards, which is just, it teaches you how to use the rectangle. Yeah, and so so in trying to create magic with technology, tr trying to use technology in, in a, a lens that can really be magic, it has to integrate into like our human experience and, and be able to be discovered and be able to not feel like you are getting pulled into another experience where I have to use this right, that there's mm -hmm. instructions on how to use it, that there's a right way to do things that it only does and responds to you touching it the right ways. That like to really open it up and integrate it and to make it feel as close to, to physical experience as possible where there isn't necessarily rules or an instruction manual. And that's okay because nothing nothing necessarily breaks. It doesn't have to be used that way. That, I'm, that's, I'm just like, that's so fascinating and such an interesting point because I think there's a lot of things that, especially as there's so much information in the world, that approaching something new is like, ah, what's the correct way to do it? Like, how do I Google 
instructions before I cook this pasta or like what's the right way to cook this rice or like even little simple things I find myself just checking Google to make sure I'm like but am I doing it the right way I don't want to make the mistake and then I ruined the thing whereas there's so many you know a field there's no right way to walk through a field there's just various paths that you can discover that might or might not be there exactly yeah and and um it, again there's just because of all the baggage we have with with how we use our technology to really try to hide hide any sense that that at the end of it is really a computer controlling what's happening becomes really important just so that we get pulled away from the crutch of instructions and using things correctly um it, it's it's just like a very it's very important in all of this design to remember that we are wizards and not robots that we can really be using this stuff as magic rather than just optimization and correctness wow what a beautiful point yeah i think that's um that's something that's really at the core of the shift that we're possibly moving towards i don't think it's inevitable but there was a phase where we really had to just use technology as this tool and it had to be cumbersome and we all ended up staring at our phones that's currently what you go anywhere and everyone's staring at their phones and some of the new voice assistants and things i think there's also downsides to those but it is nice that you can just interact in a more human way of like oh let me get the weather and i don't have to look at my phone and then when i look at my phone to get the weather well i end up checking Facebook and then when I check Facebook I end up checking Facebook for five minutes and then I never even go outside and experience that beautiful weather because I've just fallen down the rabbit hole and when you have things that are designed in a more human way it's supporting and augmenting our natural behaviors rather than forcing us into artificial ones yeah and that's that's actually a great example the the voice um voice commands and things uh I found it very interesting that I've seen younger people use voice texting quite a bit, like even even amongst groups. And and at first I thought it was really strange, like being in a group of people and hearing people speak into their phone and texting that way while I'm in a group with them. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I what I've started to realize is what ends up happening is that even though they are going and writing their text message, rather than like removing like rather than pretending like that they're listening or whatever and still texting and kind of checking out of the group the entire group ends up involved in what they're doing it's not this like side hidden thing it just is it becomes part of the conversation that even though they're taking this kind of tech break for communication that everybody's doing anyway we are all aware of it and it's not that same kind of interruption it's not that same kind of subtly removing yourself in the corner it's a weird pocket privacy that we have with our phone where even if you're just out to dinner with one other person and they go on their phone if they don't announce what they're doing you have no idea you're like did you get bored and you're just looking for a better date right now while you're on this date or did your grandma text you and you have to just send a quick message and not everyone has that same etiquette of like i'm going to announce it but i see what you're saying that if you are like hey randy like what's the party later on then everyone's like oh okay cool we know what chris was doing when he used his phone just now it's not that he detached from our conversation and did a side quest yeah it, exactly and and it really does help uh it just helps integrate your realities it's like we all just have digital lives now we're all able to do a lot of things in parallel that we do have plans that are already starting while we're at another plan that we're going to a party next or or we have plans with friends after this 
but by we're accumulating messages yeah just in the background constantly like we check them at certain times but i have a secretary that is collecting my facebook messages my text messages my voicemail my email 24 hours i have systems in place that are just accumulating those things yeah. waiting for when i can give it my attention and and the those voice commands in that sense do help um bridge the gap between your digital life and your physical life and, and just again let you do these things in a more human way it's still kind of weird but looking at it in this context of trying to have magic instead of technology trying to have wizards instead of robots it works much better into into us being humans together uh, and another another thing i wanted to say is we are like we're in a relationship with technology when you talk about the outcomes and, and kind of how we've grown with technology, the thing is like we are in a committed relationship with technology. It is, I don't want to say impossible, but it, it would be very difficult to just cut off technology from where we've grown. We're very codependent. Very, very codependent. And um, so my wife is a marriage and family therapist, and it's just made me very aware of relationships and, and that they're active they're acts of growth that you have to be involved in the shaping of moving forward. That mm -hmm. just because things are good in one moment doesn't mean you can just kind of let them let them go forever and coast. You have to be involved in what is happening, making sure your needs are met, looking to meet the needs of the other. The thing is, in a relationship with technology, we are really the at the moment the only conscious party in this group. Mm -hmm. Yet we keep changing our behavior to meet the technology we're inventing we keep bending over and bending against our will a lot of times to keep up with the things that we're inventing the the speed and efficiency at which a lot of these apps can help us do our jobs or work or connect and we're sacrificing the parts that we need to remain human if you looked at this as an actual relationship it would be toxic we keep giving up our our freedoms and our needs and and what is making us happy and keeping us human just to keep up with with this partner. Well, because I think sometimes the technology evolves so quickly in a way that it's hard for us to um, just to, to be on top of it. Like I have the problem of my phone updates and whenever my phone dies, I have to go get a new phone and the new phone is totally different. And I'm like, I really have a basic set of functionality that I want out of a phone. It's frustrating to me to like have to learn oh, my new alarm works this way instead of that way, or like, oh, I can't do this setting or that setting. Like, if you've been using a laptop for the last 20 years, you've had to constantly be learning new things that they've thrown into whatever update in the hardware, in the operating system. The system is constantly moving, which is a hard relationship, I think, to be in. I mean, all relationships are evolving and growing, but it's hard when one partner is constantly like, hey, I didn't really check in with you, but I'm now this. Mm-hmm. Because I updated myself while you were asleep last night. And guess what? New iTunes, baby. And you're like, where's where are my podcasts? You yeah, the now button. you need to make an account to be yeah. able to get this thing. And Right, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, now, it, now it's on the cloud. Now you yeah. have to do this other thing. And you're like, all right, but I still just want to look up directions and text my friends. Yeah, it, it's... that's We are also inventing the technology, too. So that that is the piece that I really like to help address and, mm -hmm. and really change people's perspective on is... If you start looking at technology as magic, if you start looking at ways you can be using technology to extend uh, uh, your real world experience, then you're able to 
create new technology and new functionality with that in mind is Mm -hmm. you can design around not around pushing the technology farther you can design around maintaining more human connection design around individual human goals where for me as a person it's helpful for me to reach out and connect with somebody and that's an extension of my normal abilities but there's i think a predatory thing that comes in sometimes where someone's trying to take my individual human attention span and say it's better for our game if you spend more time playing this game and then more time inviting your network of friends so they're exporting my human social relationships in a way which benefits the app maker but doesn't necessarily make me better friends with people who i've pushed to join candy crush or farmville or whatever game no and now you're spending more time on those games and not talking to any of those friends yeah um and and yes it's that and it's not it's also to not look at everything as so goal goal oriented and Mm -hmm. and i will keep coming back to this wizards versus robots thing of robots do help build on efficiency and do build on optimization and with technology i mean it's still going to grow but we've come to a point where we have enough, like we have what we need. There's things we can do better and there's things we will do better. We're not going to stop um, innovating. We've crossed the line where we could have solved world hunger, but we just don't. It's So we have we have the tools at our disposal now and they've gotten very easy to use. Like I, I always say, you can learn almost anything you want with the internet. That, mm-hmm. that is an amazing point to be in, in human history. What I don't see as much going on is what do we do with all of this stuff? We have all of these brilliant inventions and and like so much technology and such powerful computers that are so small and can fit anywhere and are cheap. Once you start going into Arduinos, you can get a dollar or two to get boards that can control lights, that can control screens, that can control a lot of things. But we keep kind of chasing this... I don't know, chasing this optimization goal instead of really trying to hide the technology, make it make it invisible and make things really just be an extension of our experience. Make technology invisible again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's... I love this thing that you're saying about wizards and not robots. And I would just, can you give like a quick definition of what you mean by this idea? Like what is the wizard in this situation? How would you define wizard in this way? So a lot of this is perspective on how to look at the function of the technology right there's there's that famous quote that uh, any technology sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic uh, that means at, at a certain point you can see this new technology as, as magic like oh my god i can't believe it's doing that until eventually you understand that technology it is commonplace it's not as big deal that it works but that also means that there was a certain perspective and a certain context that you could look at it that it was magic that it was absolutely incredible it exists Mm -hmm. we live in a time now where technology is so commonplace that it new new things can still be amazing and surprising but we don't see it as magic we see it as oh cool this is there's a new device that does x y and z Mm -hmm. i am saying that we can still be looking at some of these as magic when it's done in the right ways and and one of my favorite examples of it is very very commonplace is the automatic doors that you see in a supermarket Mm -hmm. is what you have here is technology you have a very advanced you have camera a lot of times you have pressure sensors as well that detect when somebody's coming up to a door they open the door you go through the door and you keep moving 
you almost don't realize that anything happens. It is the most seamless user experience. You don't need any instructions. You can watch videos online of animals accidentally using it because it reacts to you naturally. But you are extending reality. You're using all of this technology to to physically open a door, do work for you, make something easier, and seamlessly transition into whatever you are doing. It doesn't need your attention. It's not trying to fix or it, it doesn't do anything extra there. But it's integrated so nicely that it never takes us out of our experience at any point. But wouldn't it be better if it made the Star Trek door opening noise? <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that just be like a little bit nicer? If you make the context fit the Star Trek noise. There we go. Like, so it, it, again, and that that's all how we can continue to integrate it. If we start making spaces, like if you want to feel like you are on the Enterprise, a lot of times it's all of those little extra things. It's hiding speakers in it to make sounds come mm -hmm. from places that make sense or really enchant it without focusing on all of those extra elements. Like it, it, again, it is designed for, it's, it's designed to extend your reality, not to feel like you are, have to use a digital device. I love that you just used the word enchanting. Cause I think that was a thing that, you know, the romantics were very concerned about was that the world had become disenchanted and overly materialist and focused on just this mechanical process and the natural world. They were trying to, you know, like find enchantment back in it. But we live in a miraculous world. We're living in mm -hmm. science fiction. Yep. You know, like yes, we've we crossed are. so many of those boundaries. And it's a shift of our perspective to how do we re-enchant this? How do we make this feel and look and taste like the future in the way that is exciting and magical and special and not just um, draining and taxing and demanding? Yeah, absolutely. And... and uh, I have found as I've done this work um, that people have a lot of fun when they see it. And when they see technology being used in this way, it, it's surprisingly eye-opening. They've seen a lot of the devices, like none of it is, uh, most of the equipment I use is consumer facing, or at least you, you could order it online and get it. It's nothing out of a research lab or anything like that. Yet when people see it used in the way that I use it, it makes them think about technology different. And hopefully that can make them demand different things out of their technology, not let their attention keep being stolen by it. What are some projects that you've worked on that people have interacted with in these ways that you could even maybe even describe some of the interactions that you've witnessed? <laughs> um, so... There was a project I had done for uh, Blink, which was a lighting and projection festival in Cincinnati. Um, and we were commissioned by the Taft Museum out there to represent Taft Museum being this art museum um, so that they could have some representation at the festival. And so we took some portraits of, of their collection um, and I had my artist like paintings friends, uh, that they were painting, in the collection paintings of, from their their collection in the museum of aristocrats from another era posing in exactly. front of the fireplace. Yes, it, it just as stereotypical as you would think. Yeah. And um, I some of my artist friends, I had them sort of remix those paintings, kind of paint them in their own style, however they wanted to, just really matched up to the original portraits. Uh, and at the event, which was outside, we had a big wall and we projected the portraits, the original like old school paintings. Um, and I built a system that you could take paint rollers, like regular paint rollers that you'd paint your wall, 
and you could paint over these these portraits and it would reveal my friends like artistic takes on these these wild remixed animated versions of them and all you were just painting along this wall and you would paint over all of these portraits and reveal these entire new set of exciting exciting ones but and, you're not really painting you're just using the paintbrush as a as like a cursor basically yeah, to interact it's, it's a it's a real world tool that's been reinvented as a digital stylus yeah exactly it it was um we used honestly we used a virtual reality tracking system and put trackers on the paint rollers themselves so i always knew where they were in space um i mapped where where the portraits were in digital in the digital and in the real world and so like there was a, a, a complex sort of digital infrastructure around it but all the people experience was being handed a paint roller and being able to just paint the wall and watch it change colors. Because the tool made sense to them. Exactly. You could have done the same effect where you're going to just like press a button and it's going to do the whole thing. Or it's a touch screen a and touch you can screen paint on it or you go to a website hand. and you can check it out. But you gave them a set of instructions that was literally just a pull with a paint roller at the end of it. And people are like, I understand the basic premise of this tool. I will play around with it and then get the effect on their own, which feels a lot more exciting when you discover something than when it's just handed to you. Absolutely. And it was incredible to see to see the different people that interacted with it and the like how people just understood it immediately. Like we're talking children who could barely like lift it. Their parents would have to like help them with the pole being marveling at watching the, the picture just change in front of them. And we had, we had old people as well, like painting and understanding what was happening as well. And this is technology that when I start explaining to them, their eyes glaze over and they have no idea what's going on. They don't care. They don't want to but, see the man behind the curtain. They want to see Oz the Great and Powerful. And they don't need to see the man behind the curtain. They can see the magic, that it can exist, and they can just understand that we have the technology to do it. But that the way it's being done, they don't have to. They don't have to be fed all these instructions. They don't have to use it the right way. They can have a real, genuine experience, and we can facilitate it with technology. That we can enchant that wall. That we can enchant those paintings. How did you get it? How did you get interested in this in the first place? What was your journey into technology as magic? Uh, well, so my goal in life, for as long as I can remember, has been uh, to be an eccentric old man who invents things in his garage. And so I realized that a long time ago. And I think I think people that get interested in wizardry have a, a goal of being <laughs> an eccentric old man. That was also my goal. Not necessarily the garage, but I more envision like a nice study that I could just stroke my beard and think about the universe in. So keep going. I, I just I'm glad that we had a similar poll of like, I want to be a cool old person. Yeah, and and so that was like that was the the journey just felt like I knew the end point a long time ago. And so it was always, it was weird when people ask like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because like my idea was like at the end, I did, it was filling in the gaps of what yeah. I am when I grow up was getting me to that end result of being this eccentric old man inventing things in his garage. I mean, I think it's kind of like shuffleboard where it's like, it's nice to have that goal. That's like the very end of the line and your life is like, how close can I get and land on it? And I'm eventually going to tip over that line, but like that's where that sweet spot is. And it's mm -hmm. all the, the smooth glide. Yeah. And, and so just, I mean, as a kid, I was always dreaming up and tinkering and inventing things. And um, so engineering was a natural progression for me in college. Um, 
I didn't totally feel like I felt fit in too much with um, other engineers. I I don't know. I, I had a just very much a creative streak in me, a very mm-hmm. experimental streak in me. Um, I didn't care so much about the depth in a lot of the subjects I was doing as much as, as the breadth of it. Um, I really... I... I did well in engineering, but I always there was something else that I, I was missing in it. And it was a lot of the the creativity, I think, that I have found since. Mm-hmm. Um, my first job out of college, uh, I'd moved to Chicago with my now my wife, um, and I was building iPhone apps. And through the, while I was doing that, um, I started to realize like me being good at my job was getting as many eyeballs on as many screens for as long amounts of time as I could. That that was really a measure of success. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that same time, uh, we had gotten involved in the flow arts community in Chicago and the Burning Man community in Chicago. Flow arts being like juggling and various performances and yes. poi and all of those kinds of... Spinning things around. Spinning things around, yes. All right. Artistically. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, that, that started to open my eyes to... Uh, like how do I say it like low stakes art that you could just be creative and experimental and like here was a community of people who would look at it and enjoy it and have a good time regardless and that interested me a lot yeah and if you can just spin things around and that's art then like you can do a lot of other things and, <laughs> you know that's a pretty nice way to it, open it the was door. A, it was a very creatively open space that I hadn't found at mm-hmm. least through college and all that this this was my first time really exploring that outside of college and um, I found like through these groups, I started playing around with an Xbox Connect camera, which mm-hmm. was a it, it's a sort of a 3D camera that came along with the Xbox. Um, and I just kind of messing around in my apartment one day, I built this motion visualizer. So you'd almost like see a silhouette of yourself on your computer screen. And when you'd move around, it would sort of trail where you were. It was, it was really, it was just like a pretty sort of effect. And what I found I was doing was after I coded it, I was, I probably danced around in my living room for a solid hour or two. Mm -hmm. I like was like totally entranced by this thing. It's like, this is amazing. I was just moving around and and playing with it. Um, And I I showed a friend of mine who was in this flow arts community. He's like, why don't you bring it out to, to our event? It was sort of like an open floor, like, like an open mic night if you were, doing flow arts for spinning something for spinning things yeah um and he had me just like he i had a projector he get, he i just set it up on the performers that night and through that one of the performers ran a dance troupe and she had me do the visuals for their entire dance group and that summer i spent like i went to festivals and i set up these visuals there and i started just realizing like oh i can be creating technology for these humans to play with like physically like that there is no screens involved now that like i'm able to be creating these things that are part of a greater human experience not stuck inside of these rectangles of phones or whatever and so that created a broke outside the rectangle i broke the rectangle i realized the rectangle was just not needed in any of this um and and it gave me a lot of I became very dissatisfied with my job doing app development and I didn't even know that like you know experiential design as they might call it uh, that I didn't know that there was careers in doing this kind of 
technology. I just knew that I could not keep getting people sucked into screens more. Like I felt like I had this truth all of the sudden that I like no longer could live the the life I was living before. Like that I couldn't live with that lie of like I'm using my powers to suck people into this and this is wrong. This is not what to do. Also, it's just such a powerful statement about how fast the world is changing that in your story, the like example of like the boring corporate job that you had to rebel against is being an app developer, which is like (laughs) a a, a career that did not exist like 20 years ago. It's like, it's totally a new thing, but that's how quickly we've gone from it being the like, whoa, your job is like, you get to sit in like a beanbag chair and like make apps. That's amazing to being like, oh my God, I have to like glue people's eyeballs to their phones. I want to get out there and do something that is human and interactive. And like, that's the new dream. Yeah. And that's, um, it's funny too, because I got into app development because it was, uh, it was very rewarding writing software that people could immediately start touching and playing with. Mm-hmm. And then I realized like, wait, no, this is the same thing. This is just a prettier package on the same boring sort of software model of using technology we have. I'm, I'm just loving thinking about whoever is listening to this like 20 years from now. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, I have to go to my stupid day job and design like multi-sensory interdimensional like reality experiences for like humans but what i really want to do is something that like you and i cannot understand at this point They're like <laughs> oh so boring yeah yeah exactly it's like, like hipsters with like old iphones in the future right like oh man i just figured out a way to get the old app store bring back. the yeah. rectangle back <laughs> you know the rectangles analog yeah uh, yeah, once the phones are all implanted in us, it'll be crazy to look at a phone. Yeah. Um, now, so uh, anyway, I was very dissatisfied with my life. Uh, I ended up quitting my job and going to Burning Man and, you know, that kind of cliche. I came out of it with the free space to actually explore. Um, like I had time to do my art. I had time to do events. I had time to meet and talk with people and eventually found that like this was totally a career. Like that, that I could do interactive creative technology as a, as a job. There were studios doing it. And I happened to find a very amazing studio in Chicago called Leviathan. Um, and I had actually seen some of their work in museums that were part of my like, oh, people are doing this and getting paid. Like I had seen clear examples of them in, in museums of this like interactive work of like, I'm this has to be a thing. And I ended up getting a job with the studio and um, they really showed me, they, they really helped me build a lot of my professional skills, my professional technical skills and getting to work at a really high level in, in that space was interesting. And at the same time, I was continuing to build my own studio, uh, Patchy Projects. Um, and from that end, I started exploring rather than what do I do with really high-end computers and LEDs and, and all, all of the fancy equipment I get to use at work, what is the sort of low tech versions of what I can do? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll show you some of the the inventions around my studio, but a lot of it is, is, you know, as few LEDs as I can use to convey information. A lot of them are like really weird. It, it's all the weird experimental art stuff. It's literally cyberpunk. Yeah. It, it's, it is meant to like, it, there's a lot of, I've shown some of these things to people and I'll, sometimes my response is like, okay, why? 
Uh, but that's the problem. That's we keep looking at the technology as like solving some kind of problem. We're not looking at it as as an enchantment, as this like it. Do, it's not about why. It's just that we are able to do this. That we are able to take these steps in reality that weren't possible before. It's not what does it do. It's what can I do with it. Like yes. What like you know? It's a hula hoop. Yeah. That's the flow arts thing that we're talking about. Like like how many different ways can you spin a hula hoop? Well, it turns out a lot. A lot. <laughs> So where along this journey did you become interested in the idea of magic and calling yourself a wizard? So uh, as I was exploring this, uh, particularly when I was working with this uh, dance troupe and going to festivals and things, I started to really get my feelings and thoughts in order about what I didn't like about my day job, about these apps, about these screens, what I really liked about how I was using technology there. And what I realized was that it was a, it became not about the technology and became about the experience. And it became specifically about trying to not make it about the, the technology. And so I started using words like magic. And uh, for a long time, actually, it like the more festivals I went to, the more people I talked to, the more I really like got my thoughts in order about what it was, about what was happening. It felt very right. It felt very, very right. And as I got my thoughts in order, um, I started to consider myself a wizard in training. I was a little shy about owning a wizard title. Like, who am I? I don't even know like what I'm doing here. I'm really, I'm really just exploring what's happening. I'm really just exploring these ideas and seeing where it takes me. Who am I to say that I'm a wizard? And so I would kind of hide behind this wizard in training title for a while. Um, yeah, that's one way to do it. You can also just call yourself a wizard and wait for everyone else to get on board. I realize that now. I realize that that was a little unnecessary. Uh, I think that's a good approach. I think there's an advantage to. I being needed slow. to get there. Uh, yeah. Not all wizards follow. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> good thing you didn't write the wizard handbook, right? Oh yeah, but I've met that guy and he's pretty cool too. <laughs> um. So I, yeah. So so. As I started doing this enough and as it really just became a truth of how I wanted to, I wanted to share this perspective with the world. And what I found was like, I wanted to own that wizard title, like for my own confidence with what I was doing to not try to present this as something else, like to show people that I'm serious, that you can look at tech, like that this technology is magic, that you can create these things that are magic. And, and when I switched over to wizard, I actually met and connected with people on many different levels. They started to, uh, they started to take my message even more seriously. Like before it was just like, Oh, that's interesting how you're using these things. When I said I'm a wizard, now they're calling their friends over and said, look at this guy, he's a wizard. And I have a much more engaged audience who are are interested in it and are taking my magic seriously. Um, and, and it was really amazing. Like what that little, change has had and in it's fact i know spell. i i know you because somebody knew a wizard and needed to introduce me to them and that was you i have ended up on really interesting projects because i've presented myself as a wizard and people have contacted me because that's what they wanted they wanted projections or whatever for the show but they wanted it they wanted magic they didn't want the just the technical piece of it we often get hung up i think with like really we push magic away from us and we just say that doesn't count as magic that doesn't count as magic but really magic is changing reality in accordance with 
whatever you want to call it, will or, you know, your human consciousness. And we do that all the time with very minor choices that we make. And if someone is at a cocktail party and asks you, what do you do? And you go, oh, I'm an app developer. You're going to have one kind of conversation with that person. You say wizard, it's a different route. It's a it's a hard left turn into unknown territory and people respond differently. They grab their friends to talk to you. They make you tell the same stories over and over again. They connect you with other wizards. Like there's a whole different thing that happens when you have that very basic magic spell of saying, I'm a wizard and this word is a magic word because it triggers something in you of your ideas about Gandalf and Merlin and all of these other fictional wizards and makes you say, yeah, let's let's see what's in this door. Especially when someone's saying, and then this door is full of lights and diodes and it's going to be a portal to a really interesting space that you can play around in. Yeah, it, it's... It is amazing, really, what that what that language does, and and how it gets people to perk up and pay attention, and that is a very powerful tool to have, uh, is people's attention. And so, sorry, there's no so. Um, one of the other things in this this sort of analogy of technology as magic is, is as I was doing this, I realized like there's just if you want to take that sort of Harry Potter fictional magic to it, um, this idea that like because you can understand and break down the steps and understand how it was engineered to work doesn't discount it as magic. Like if you look at, at Harry Potter, like these people go to school for years and years and study these subjects Mm -hmm. to make these spells. Like there is a lot of work and understanding. That's not willy nilly. They wave their hand in the air and hope something happens that there is a lot of um, education and intention and understanding with what they're doing that like the magic is very, it is done very intentionally. It's not just uh, uh, you snap your fingers and something impossible happens. That's not how it works. See, now I want to I want to see the, you know, J.K. Rowling's trying to still make money off of Harry Potter. So what if instead of going to Hogwarts, there's like the Hogwarts vocational technical high school where you <laughs> see how the magic actually works. And it's the students who are like, yeah, but like, how do you hook up a unicorn horn into the wand to like make it work with the phoenix well better. and that's got to be there it's somebody's it's be doing, there yeah. jk rowling get in touch the <laughs> harry potter technical high school yeah. <laughs> shop class it'll be great oh yeah it's yeah. gonna be fantastic I've, I've wondered so much about those brooms and the materials to like you know there yeah. seems like there's some more like hybrid vehicles out there someone's got to make made, the sausage yeah, yeah the so and another another part of this that like really feels literally like magic is the this idea of coding of of you are like i am able to take letters and symbols and all of these things and write them in a way that it will work and do real physical things like Mm -hmm. that i can write a program that i can write a script that has real world effects yeah like that i don't see the difference there between between a spell and and just a program here like to that literally feels like magic is is by me understanding how this works and by me understanding this medium i am able to conjure up what i i want like i'm literally able to write out spells that that work i mean a storyteller around a fire can transport you to another world and make you think about gods and heroes and all of these legends that we told over and over and over and now someone can 
weave that into an experience that you put on a headset and you're literally transported into that other world. But I think there's a lot of overlap between the two where just because you can put visuals in a VR environment doesn't actually make it engaging to be there. And when I was um, similar to you know what you said, I was very fascinated with the Arthur C. Clarke quote of sufficiently advanced technology being indistinguishable from magic. And I started exploring the New York VR meetup scene and going to these places. And there was so much potential with VR, but so many times it was like, you guys just took a movie and you wrapped it around me and it wasn't a movie that I wanted to watch in the first place. Mm -hmm. Like once the novelty factor is gone, what's making you stay around? And it was only the things that had that truly interactive element that made it worth playing the game and continuing with the experience beyond, oh, that was interesting. Yeah, and it's it's interesting you mention VR because uh, for me it's been it's been an interesting subject. It's been something I'm I've definitely been interested in. Um, just professionally, I need to be aware, and uh, I, j- I just need to know about these tools. They're very powerful. We're like hijacking senses now. Mm-hmm. Hijacking senses, yeah. The the <clears throat> tricky part and where I struggle in working with it is you are taking that rectangle and strapping it to your face. So the only thing in your world is that rectangle. Mm-hmm. You're um, going into the rectangle. Yes. And that, that this idea um, that is at the forefront of, uh, of my work of trying to uh, extend our human experience, this is kind of the opposite. It is taking your human experiencing and put it into a digital bubble. And, and that's what it is. Um, I do actually have a virtual reality demo for you that I'd love to show you. Um, and a lot of it is kind of battling the the nature of virtual reality as like a medium. It, it is really like, how do we integrate the world around you? How is what you're like, how is what you're seeing still relevant to your real experience? Um, and even the uh, the paint roller example that I mentioned earlier that I used, I used a VR system because there is a lot of interesting technology in it. The one part I didn't use was covering up your eyes with this mask. Um, it, so VR has been like a, has been very much on the forefront of my mind is like, also how do we introduce people to these new ideas that aren't going to go anywhere? And how do we do it in a way that can help them think uh, of the future, hopefully positively, or at least like help them avoid some of the, the pitfalls that might come along with this technology? It's an interesting question of like, is VR, VR an external or internal experience? Like, you know, it, it's, it depends it's hard, how it's made. It depends what you're doing. And it's a hard question with humans, you know, like everything's an internal mm. experience because I'm processing and I don't have any information beyond what my brain is telling me I'm getting information about. But we kind of have a traditional split of like, if I close my eyes, that's an internal experience. And if I'm out moving objects in the world, that's an external one. And computers are very weird. Like if you and I are chatting, am I in your room? Are you in my room? Are we in a server farm somewhere outside of Virginia? Like it's very weird where we're actually located. And I think you have a great point that when you've strapped the rectangle to your face, have you fully entered the rectangle? Are you through the looking Mm. glass or are you having an internal experience and you've plugged your visual stimulus with one input and you've plugged your auditory with another and maybe we'll add some tubes to your nose soon enough and have some sort of haptic to create (laughs) physical sensations. And now you're basically a brain in a jar that we're just 
programming. And yeah, it's it's a very interesting precipice that we stand on. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of a lot of these a lot of these examples, even a lot of my own work can be viewed both ways of, of you know, is this is this really magic or is this just chaining ourselves to our technology further? Um, and that's why that's why perspective in all of this is so important. And that's really the point to keep in mind as, as you either are looking at new technology or you are creating it yourself is, am I doing this with magic as my intention? Am I doing this to create an enchanted experience? Or am I doing this just because I know I can get a lot of people to use it or whatever? You know, that that the intention behind the experience and your way, your ability to look at that experience is is important. What is a technology that you're really excited about? And one is what is one that you're really afraid of and you are wary of? So one technology I'm really excited about. Um, actually, I wonder if this is my answer for both of them. Um, one technology I'm really excited about um, is robot arms. I work at a studio here in Philadelphia, Bridge Studios, BRDG. Uh, and this year, a lot of the projects we've been working on have involved robot arms. So I've su- been surprised that this year I've gotten to work with a lot of them. Um, and we just got a, it's like a, it's a nice high-end industrial robot arm that also has a lot of uh, force sensors on it, on all its joints. So if it bumps into something that it's not expecting, it stops. And these robot arms are made to work alongside humans. And so we now have this big arm that can kind of do crazy things, but it also is aware of of its surroundings, more or less, that it is able to be safe around around us. And that has opened up a lot of... Uh, a lot of possibilities for us to do when we're building these art installations is like now we can have a a device that's capable of physically moving things around that we're able to have this fully physical experience around that's still safe to be around people. Um, we've recently made it uh, paint portraits of celebrities. We had it in New York about a month ago painting Martha Stewart's face uh, for, for a crowd of people. All those was, poor <laughs> artists in Midtown that are selling paint, like paint or Soho, like they're selling their art on the sidewalk. They're going to be so frustrated when the robot arms drive them out of business. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the, that idea of like robots took our jobs is definitely it, it's true in some situations in this uh, art painting robot is. There was a lot of human work that went into getting this where it is. I will tell you that it is not just uh, replacing artists by any means. This has employed quite a few in this project. Well, I'm thinking of that old saying, you know, you can't hug with nuclear arms. But robot arms, you can totally hug. You can. Yeah, you can. You especially know, if a, they have four sensors on them so they don't crush you. They don't crush you. That's a better technology. <laughs> but then if they don't have the four sensors, then yeah, then it gets scary. Yeah, and um, but this this also is what I uh, this also comes into the technology that I'm I'm currently worried about. There's a bunch of them. Oh, geez, I was like, now I'm second guessing. Robot arms, robot and- legs. That's the problem. If they're arms, we can know where they are, and they're not going to go anywhere. But if they have robot legs. We've opened up a whole can of worms. Yeah. Have you seen those uh, Boston Dynamic dogs? <laughs> yeah. That is just nightmare fuel. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm like, 
I like that you guys are building robots. I wish we could not also be creeping towards fascism while we're building robots. Those seem like they're going to dovetail in a bad way, but yeah. And, and this actually, that's a good point. Like, uh, something that I do really try to, I'm not trying to preach technology is amazing and it's magic and we should all just have all the technology. There's um, dark magic as well. That and and that you should get that straight with yourself. That you should look at technology and if you feel discomfort about it, you should try to identify it. Ask what is making me uncomfortable about this. Like you don't like Facebook. What is it about Facebook that is drawing you in? Like mm-hmm. what what about Facebook do you not like? Is it all of social media? Is it your phone? Is it having access all the time? Like to when you feel discomfort about technology understand why because that's also how we can work to avoid it that's because what we you're can, in relationship with it you're you in, have the roommate yeah. that you're like i hate this roommate and it's like because they also tell long-winded pointless stories and you know that you do that and then you see you know so i think that's a very good point yeah it, so like the the good and the bad are very important parts of this um that's why I, I love reading sci-fi for those reasons it's you should be uncomfortable about all of this and we should try to work to make it less uncomfortable i um, mean i think it's you know it's a it's a very thin uh tightrope stretched between utopia and dystopia and all of the excitement comes from the wobbles of like, oh, is it almost there? Oh, is it almost there? And I think that's kind of the arc of history is is oriented towards that um, that tension. Yeah, it, it's it's like that idea, like if you're doing something dangerous by being afraid of it kind of helps you be safe during it. Like, like oh my God, I'm so worried I'm going to fall is what is also going to help you stay on that ledge and right. not I've, fall. I've talked about that with friends that were moving to New York where I'm like, look... I've had a lot of friends move to New York. I know that you're freaking about how are you going to find a place? How are you going to find a job? Everyone that I know has found a place and found a job. You will be fine. But wait, I think that anxiety is the fuel that gets you there. So like, please ignore my advice and continue to stoke your own anxiety. That's what's going to get you to those safety points. Mm -hmm. If you were just in New York and you're like, it's going to work out. Who needs to look for an apartment? Who needs the job on? It'll be fine then that would be the one person I'd be like, that person burned out. They did not do well. Yeah, that's, I, yes, the, that's, that's where I think our, our health is going to come from in all of this is like, I'm not overly worried about us falling into, uh, like everybody has VR devices on their face all of the time. And we turn into ready player one or something like that. Not saying that it's not possible. I'm just saying, I do feel like the, discomfort that i've been seeing more and more in technology is is a healthy is very healthy in our ability to avoid a lot of these uh, dangers but i would say actually i've in my head i've now changed my answer to what i'm most worried about a few times robot penises oh definitely not (laughs) that's a natural evolution what do you mean um the it's really the uh so Automation I'm is definitely I'm fearful of it also because we're just not addressing it all that well is like we have the opportunity again in this magic world to use technology to allow us to have more human experience. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's like we have a I, I imagine like a lifeboat that just keeps getting smaller and smaller, but we still kind of try to fit all the same people on it and the same amount of people as we create less and less work for us. Like, what are we what are we going to do? It's the problem of leisure. What to do for pleasure. 
Yeah, well, and that we can't afford leisure right now. Yeah, like it's like we're not making any routes out of out of needing to work full time all the time. It's that's true. Yeah, we, with all of our the automation we've done so far, we really haven't freed up a lot of no leisure time. <laughs> not at all. Um, and the other part of that is um, the sort of machine learning, big data stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we are we just now have these systems and these networks in place of like social media and things. Um, where we're able to get a lot of recommendations and we're able to have our what we're looking at steered be steered by what we're being shown and um, it's not uh, there as we get better at that you have to start to wonder who's in the driver's seat like are yeah. are you looking at this because you want to or are you just kind of on the track that was laid out to you even before you would have gotten on the computer or on your phone like what what are you know we all end up seeing the same kind of links and things and right now it's it's not that old technology it's just going to get better the more we use it that we're going to be able to be steered a lot of different ways without knowing we're being steered like, like with the relationship analogy, it would be scary to be in a romantic relationship where you're like, oh, every time I get in an argument with my partner, my partner learns how to argue better with me and convince me of things. And like, you're like, it's very manipulative. This it's is very this manipulative. Is, yeah, this is manipulative. This is not just an even exchange. So I'd love to close this wonderful chat out before we get into exploring your lovely workshop here. And I'd love to figure out a spell that people could do to change their own relationship with technology in their life and experience some of this magic that we've been talking about. Um, so my spell for all of the listeners out there, and I guess you too, if you have it, it's to take your phone. Okay. Smash it. Smash well, it with a robot arm. <laughs> no, okay. Got my phone. If you're not actively listening to this on your phone, mm-hmm. then shut your phone off. Mm. If you are or you do need it for some reason, put on Do Not Disturb. If you're with somebody... Take all of your phones and put them in a stack on a table nearby. And now come back in an hour. Love it. Thank you, Chris. No problem. For more of Chris's work, you can find him on Instagram at Patchy Projects. That's Patchy with a Y. And for more of the positive, interactive technology magic that is this podcast as a ritual... Tune into our frequency at patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual, where I will be posting audio diary excerpts and other fun magical tidbits from my wizard quest down to Asheville and back. So stay tuned there to see how life is on the road as a wizard and what kinds of enchanting trouble I can get up to. Until next time, keep your phone down and your eyes up. I believe in you. Your technology is interactive.